We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Thursday, June the 24th, 2021. Today's show, we continue along the 2021 opponent preview series, guys. Today, we're breaking down the Gamecocks week 11 opponent, the Missouri Tigers, as South Carolina travels to Farrakh Field November the 13th to take on Mizzou. Guys, I'll break down the Tigers in their entirety. First things first, we'll talk about their head coach, how they fared a season ago, best returning players on both offense and defense, the 2021. 21 outlook for Mizzou football, as well as give the overall outlook for South Carolina's road trip to Como. Also, guys, we got news and notes, your listener questions, and a fantastic interview with Phil Cornblue of Sports Talk SC as we discuss his path in sports media, his love for recruiting. We also discuss, of course, Shane Beamer, the 2021 football season, and the South Carolina-Clemson rivalry. All that, guys, much more in a packed Thursday show, and it's all brought to you by our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. Guys, Upstate Movers Group, superior moving service. They bring care and attention other companies can't offer because they're just too busy maintaining trucks and profiting off of them instead of focusing on service. Guys, service is what separates Upstate Movers Group from the competition. They're not a trucking company. They're a moving services company, and they're also employee-owned co-op. Their movers are paid twice the industry average, and everyone on the crew is invested in your success. They have dedicated professional crew members, and they also offer black glove service. They offer end-to-end packing services, custom crating and packaging for special items, and cleaning services as well. They're founded by Greenville Natives and University of South Carolina alumni guys, so a Gamecock-owned small business. They also offer 20 years of project management moving experience and they can offer logistics and solutions that traditional moving companies simply do not have the skills for guys whether in the upstate or across the state of south carolina if you have any moving needs in 2021 be sure to check out our friends over at upstate movers group you can find them on social media at upstate movers group or of course if you have any other questions go to their website upstatemoversgroup.com that's upstatemoversgroup.com be sure to check them out and tell them chris from the spurs up show sent you let's get
Ladies and gents, boys and girls, happy Thursday. Hope you're all doing well. I'm Chris Phillips, host the Spurs Up show, as always. Appreciate you all tuning in, wherever you may be, whatever you may be doing, whether you're on the commute, you're in the office, you've got the day off. Hey, maybe you're on vacation. You're next to a body of water in the mountains, whatever it is. Thank you all so much for tuning in as we sit here now just 72 days away from kickoff guys the preseason is flying by before you know it sec media days will be here fall camp will be here and kickoff against eastern illinois on september the 4th will be upon us guys we got a packed show here on a thursday again thank you all so much for tuning in and that's where i want to start today's show is with a bit of gratitude because as we go through the preseason together and we're getting into peak preseason if you you guys are seeing my top five list and it is list season it's Mount Rushmore season as some would say but uh you know as we go through this preseason together and there are a million different things you guys could be tuned into or listening or watching or hey you could just cut it off until we get to August or even September but the fans of this show the people who love and support our content You guys continue to show love, continue to engage, continue to support, whether it be the podcast, social media, the merch, the Daily Crow. I want to take a moment to say thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for each and every single one of you. I don't want you guys to ever think that I take it for granted. It means the absolute world, man. It means the absolute world. I cannot stress that enough. So again, from the bottom of my heart to each and every single one of you, thank you so much because it has been a blast to this point to rock with each and every single one of y'all as we go through the preseason together. And I cannot wait to count down the next 72 days as we all anxiously await kickoff in the beginning of a new era with Carolina football. I truly love each and every single one of y'all, man. I, I used to dream of the days where even one person would listen to my show, would tune in and find value in it. And, you know, without you guys, TSUS, any of the content I make, any of the content we produce, it would not be what it is without you all's love and support. So, again, thank you all so much. I mean that from the bottom of my heart, man. And we've got some really exciting stuff in the works to give back, to enhance the content, and to make things even better for you guys, for the fans at TSUS, the best fans in the entire world. Again, thank you all so much. Without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into it, guys. The meat of the show is the 2021 Opponent Preview Series rolls on. We have just three of these left, including today, so savor it. But again, today, we are talking the Gamecocks road trip to Rockfield, Columbia, Missouri, Saturday, November the 13th, as South Carolina takes on the Missouri Tigers. South going to take it on Mizzou in a game where the Gamecocks will look to snap a two-game losing streak to the University of Missouri, guys. And that leads me to the all-time series record. This actually surprised me. I forgot. These two teams have only met 11 times all-time, by the way. And with last year's win, Mizzou actually took the series lead. They lead this series 6-5 and five overall. And what a weird, crazy series rivalry if you will, that this has turned into. The battle for the Mayor's Cup, and it always feels like no matter what, these games are just wacky. These games are out of control. I mean, who can forget, you know, Connor Shaw's comeback? Who can forget the rain game at Williams-Brice? There's been many memorable moments in the battle of the Mayor's Cup, and again, you believe that will continue this season in Coma, but again, the all-time series record, Gamecocks is going to snap a two-game losing streak, the Tigers, and they'll look to even 
the overall series as Mizzou leads it now six and five overall. Of course, last year, the meeting at Williams-Brice Stadium, Missouri won that game 17 to 10. And what's most notable about that one is that was South Carolina's first game Post Will Muschamp, Mike Bobo had taken over as interim head coach. Luke Doty was named your starting quarterback. And I remember specifically, guys, leaving Willie B that night. And it had a different feeling to it. You felt like to yourself, you had a sense of encouragement and happiness just because of the way the team played. Things you saw from Luke Doty. You felt like you saw some promise. You saw some hope for the future. But again, Missouri's still winning that game 17-10, to 10, taking down the Gamecocks. Their record a season ago... Five and five overall in the all SEC slate that was the 2020 schedule. And we'll dive more into the 2020 season in just a second. Let's first talk about their head coach, a very interesting character himself, Eli Drinkwitz, coming in into his second season with Missouri football. Now, Gamecock fans are very familiar with Eli Drinkwitz because he's beaten the Gamecocks before and he's faced South Carolina many times. Remember, he was the offensive coordinator for NC State a couple of seasons ago when South Carolina actually beat them in Charlotte. And then, of course, as much as I hate to bring this up, he was the head coach of Appalachian State in 2019 when the Mountaineers came to Williams-Brice and took down the Gamecocks in that matchup. And, of course, beating them last year with Missouri's roster. So, Eli Drinkwitz, you know, I think it's interesting. He really does fit Missouri football, and I'm going to get into this more in just a little bit, but he fits Missouri football in the sense of, you know, an offensive mind, kind of what you expect from Mizzou. They've traditionally been pretty strong offensively, but just kind of how good of a coach is Eli Drinkwitz really? And that's kind of how I view this Missouri program. Like, sort of where do they fall in the SEC hierarchy? Like, when you think of Mizzou football and you look at Mizzou, do, you know, most people say Mizzou doesn't even belong in the SEC. So Eli Drinkwitz, certainly a very, very sharp and very smart offensive mind, something he'll definitely be judged on this year. He actually went out and hired a brand new defensive coordinator this year and a new defensive staff. So how that hiring plays out will certainly go a long way to Eli Drinkwitz, his, his career in Como, but overall, a solid head football coach. I think it's yet to be determined how good he's going to be at the SEC level, but still a very solid football coach for what Mizzou is trying to build there. Again, how did they fare in 2020? Let's talk about the Tigers did a season ago, and it was a mixed bag a bit for Mizzou last year. Again, 5-5 five and five overall. They started out their season with back-to-back -back losses to Alabama and Tennessee then won their next two against LSU and Kentucky. And the LSU game was the shocker, right? Won that one 45 to 41. And we all started to realize, wow, LSU is really, really bad this year. But beat LSU and Kentucky. So they were two and two after four. Then lost to Florida 41 to 17, got absolutely shellacked, right? So they're sitting at two and three with that road date against the Gamecocks upcoming. They win that one 17 to 10 and then proceed to win their next two after that, beating Vanderbilt 41 to nothing and Arkansas in a thriller, 50-48. to 48. So they went on a three-game winning streak, but then lose the final two games, 49-14 to 14 to Georgia, and then 51-32 to 32 at Mississippi State to finish 5-5 five and five overall on the season. But again, a very mixed bag for Mizzou because when you look at their schedule, I mean, that LSU win certainly stands out 45-41, to 41, but do you really look at their schedule and say they had a really, really – impressive win. I mean, when they took down LSU, LSU was reeling. LSU was not LSU a season ago. So again, I'm going to get more of this in just, a, in just a second. They finished third in the SEC East, by the way, but it's just, how do you view Missouri football? Like, I feel like Missouri football 
it's tough to really get a read on them and where their program is currently. And again, I don't know that last year really did anything for me to change that necessarily. Again, we'll dive into that more in just a second. Let's talk about their best running players on both offense and defense. When you start offensively, you know, I almost went with the quarterback, Connor Bazelat, because I think he will throw the football more. I think he will take a positive step for Mizzou. You know, last year's a true freshman, 218 for 324, seven touchdowns and six interceptions, averaged 236.6 yards per game. But until he does so, I think he's still a bit of a question mark. He was average for them last year, I'd say, at best. Again, most are expecting him for him to take that next step under Eli Drinkwitz. Right now, I think your best player, and while he didn't play a ton last year, it's but because he was behind one of the best running backs in the SEC and Larry Roundtree. But the running back, Tyler Beatty, 48 carries for 242 yards and four touchdowns a season ago, I think Mizzou will make running the football a point of emphasis yet again again Larry Roundtree who left uh 972 total yards him ran for 14 touchdowns I think Tyler Beatty will assume that workload this year I think he's going to be another really really good Mizzou back for whatever reason Missouri always seems to have good running backs I don't know what it is they just produce good running backs I think Tyler Beatty is the latest in a really solid group of backs again really shifty has that home run threat and again they're going to want to run the football to help out Bayslight because, again, their wide receivers aren't exactly, you know, true big play guys like you see on other rosters. So I think they will lean on the running game. When you look at the running game, again, it starts with Tyler Beatty. So, again, best returning player on offense for the Tigers, give me running back Tyler Beatty. Best returning player on defense for Mizzou, I'm going on the line of scrimmage. Defensive lineman Trahan Jeff Coat. And I think this guy is going to be one of the best defensive linemen in the SEC. 23 tackles a season ago. And again, this is in 10 games. 23 tackles, six tackles for loss, six sacks, and one forced fumble. An absolute wrecking ball on that defensive line. He's also helped out, by the way, special mention by linebacker Devin Nicholson, who's a really good player in his own right. I think he had about 80 tackles or so for them a season ago. But when I look at this Mizzou defense and the guy that scares me the most, defensive lineman Trahan Jeffcoat, he is certainly the dude that really stands out, can cause absolute havoc. I think he did have a couple of sacks against the Gamecocks a season ago. But again, defensive lineman Trahan Jeffcoat, I think he's going to be an all-conference type of guy. And he is certainly, in my opinion, the best returning player on this Mizzou defense in 2021. Now, the overall outlook for Missouri football in 2021. Let's first take a look at their schedule, okay? Let's first take a look at their schedule before we go any further. The 2021 schedule for Mizzou looks like this. They open up the season against Central Michigan, then at Kentucky, Southeast Missouri State at home, and then at Boston College. Stop right there. How in the world does Missouri have these cupcake schedules Year after year after year after year. Normally, they are opening up their season with four straight non-conference games. This year, they've got their three, and they got at Kentucky. And put all due respect on Kentucky. But could you ask for a better opening slate? And how does South Carolina get an opening slate like that? I mean, is it not crazy? Year after year after year, Mizzou's opening up with like Southeast Missouri State. They're opening up with with so-and-so. They're racking up like 70 points, 80 points. People are like, wow, man, Mizzou's really good. It's like, no, they're not. They just haven't played anyone. And that's the same case yet again. I mean, they have a real shot to be 4-0. And then get this. This is how the schedule continues. After So Central Michigan at Kentucky, Southeast Missouri State at Boston College. 
They then have Tennessee at home. Then they have North Texas at home. You're talking about a Missouri team. If they can win on the road at Kentucky, which I'd say is a very winnable game, they could legitimately be 6-0 and hosting Texas A&M on October the 16th. They could be 6-0 and and have not played a ranked team or really a team worth a damn, to be honest with you. I, again, how did the Gamecocks get that type of scheduling? What do we have to do to get that type of setup? Then the second half. They play Texas A&M at home, at Vanderbilt, at Georgia, South Carolina at home, Florida at home, and then at Arkansas. Well, if nothing else, the 2021 schedule sets up beautifully if you're a Tigers fan. I mean, honestly, it sets up really, really well. You got Arkansas. You got Vandy. You got Tennessee. You got Kentucky. Your non-conference is a joke. So I don't know how Mizzou just continues to do it. I don't know if their AD is just like the greatest scheduler of all time, but it just, I'm going to get off my soapbox, but it just, it just absolutely kills me how year after year you feel like, at least in the first half of the season, they play nobody. But on the actual field of play for Mizzou, um, the big question, of course, for Missouri this year is can they take the next step in Eli Drink with the second season? Because I talked about this on social media a couple of days ago. You feel like outside of Georgia, I mean, the SEC East is wide open. You know, there's Georgia, then there is a gap. Then there's Florida, then I think there's another gap, but then there's just everybody else. You know, who's going to be that third team? Tennessee, Mizzou, Kentucky, South Carolina. I'm not even going to throw Vanderbilt in there because we know they're not going to be. But out of those four teams, who is going to be that number three team? Who's going to be that team that steps up that can maybe in the next couple years challenge? the Floridas and the Georgias of the SEC East. Now, they got to replace a lot of production offensively, but they feel really good about Connor Bazelak. Like I said, can he be the guy in their center? They feel good about his progression, that he can take the next step and lead their offense the way Drinkwitz wants them to do so. Again, the questions on defense is really what I'll be looking for. Brand-new defensive coordinator, who is Steve Wilkes. Um, they were up and down a season ago. You know, I don't think it was anything special. You look at the 2020 stats and rankings, their defense. Yeah, I mean, 85th in the country in scoring defense, 61st in rushing, 84th in passing, and 66th total. Nothing really stood out for Mizzou, both offensively and defensively. And that's, again, where my question lies. And my number one question is this of Missouri football. What do you make of? I mean, what do you make of Missouri football? Because right now, the way I see Mizzou, again, they're not a dumpster fire team, of course. I mean, they beat the Gamecocks a year ago, and they're they're not a dumpster fire team. But you look at their record last year, and that's sort of how I feel about Mizzou. They're just kind of blah. They're just this 500 sort of hang around, pesky type of SEC East team. Like, I don't really ever see – I don't think Mizzou's going to be bad enough to warrant Tigers fans – chirping about Eli Drinkwitz's job status, but are they going to be good enough to really win anything of substance? And that's sort of how I view the Mizzou football program. Again, I don't know how those close to it would look at it, but from an outsider's perspective, I I just look at Missouri and just kind of say, even so, like, what is the ceiling for Missouri football? You know, Gary Pinkle, yes, he got them to the SEC championship game, did a hell of a job, stole it from the Gamecocks a couple of times. But is that realistic for Mizzou moving forward? I mean, what type of program is Missouri right now, and are they trying to be? You know, most fans don't even think they belong in the SEC. Now, again, with that being said, the Gamecocks need to turn the tide in this rivalry. They need to take back the Mayor's Cup. But I just think it's really interesting with Missouri football in the sense of just like, who are they? What are they? What are they trying to do? Where are they going? What's the trajectory 
of Missouri football. And again, I think that's the big question that surrounds them is will they take that next step under Drinkwitz in his second season as head coach? Now, in regards to this game, as the Gamecocks go on the road, and it falls, like I said, guys, week 11. After these two, or excuse me, after this one, you've got two games left, both home games. This is your last road game of the 2021 season. You take on, you return home to take on the Auburn Tigers and Clemson Tigers, which we'll talk about both those opponents next week. But a tricky road game for sure for South Carolina. You know, it feels, again, every single road trip to Como has been very, very slippery. And I think for South Carolina, though, when you look at their season, and we all look at six and six as being that number of, hey, you want to get to, right? You want to get to a bowl game. You'd really like to in year one to be a great first year for Shane Beamer. Six wins or more would be accomplishing all your goals, I feel. This is an important swing game, in my opinion, for your bowl game host. Hey, there's a good chance you come into this one needing this for your sixth win. And also, like I mentioned earlier, the SEC East hierarchy. You know, I think South Carolina fans expect to beat Missouri. I don't think there are many South Carolina fans that look at Missouri and say, oh, you know, that's a really tough one, or, oh, we should lose to Missouri. I don't think anybody feels that way. You know, ever since Mizzou came into the conference, I think Gamecock fans have felt like, oh, well, that's a team we should beat. We feel pretty confident. You know, Mizzou's nothing special, whatever, whatever, whatever. But I think this one, this season, it is important. You're on a two-game losing streak against them. They took the overall series lead. And I don't know that you're really going up against Missouri and recruiting battles or head-to-head for any prospects, but just the overall SEC East hierarchy. I said sort of this similar thing about Tennessee, and I'll say it about Missouri as well. The less teams you have to leapfrog to compete with the Georgias and the Floridas and get into the upper third of the SEC, the better. So if you want to lose to a Mizzou for a third straight year, it's going to be really hard to convince anyone that you are ahead of Missouri as a football program, God forbid. You know, I think this will be really big, being road warriors, going on the road, finding a way to win this one, snapping that losing streak. And like I said, I think this will be so important for your, your bowl hopes. There's a really good chance that you come into this one needing this one for that sixth win. This is going to be one of those swing games. The Gamecocks, that they're going to get to a bowl game in 2021, they've got to at least split their swing games. And I look at their swing games most likely right now, and I'll break these down more in their entirety in a couple of weeks. But I look at a game like this. I look at Tennessee. I look at Kentucky. I look at Auburn. Those are your four top swing games. You've got to at least split those to have a realistic chance at a bowl game in 2021. So, hey, maybe it's not this one. Maybe you beat Auburn the following week. But when I look at your swing games and I look at your schedule, and especially when I look at your road games, In this 2021 season, this is about as winnable as any road game as you will have this year. You know, Farrat Field, with all due respect, is not one of the more intimidating atmospheres in all of college football or anything. It's a pretty tame place to go. So um, one thing's for certain. I will say this. One thing is for certain when the Gamecocks go to Como, weird shit will happen. Because as we all know, when South Carolina, Missouri meet on the football field for whatever reason – Things just get out of control, get out of hand. I would expect nothing less in this game as it is truly two programs that are looking to find themselves. You know, one with a second-year head coach, one with a first-year head coach. Both these programs are sort of in murky water right now, trying to find out, okay, what's the trajectory of our program? You know, where do we see ourselves in two, three, four, five years? Like, what path are we on? And establishing, establishing order 
overset opponent for both sides. It's a big game for both sides, in my opinion. It's a big game for both sides. So, again, should be a really interesting one. And, again, the battle for the Mayor's Cup, it always is a fun one when South Carolina and Mizzou do battle on the gridiron. So, again, that is the 2021 opponent preview for the Missouri Tigers. The Gamecocks travel to Como November the 13th to take on Mizzou. Like I said, guys, we have just two of these left now. Next week, we will break down Auburn on Monday's show. And then Thursday, we will break down that dreaded team from the upstate in a show that I'm sure will be very highly anticipated. Guys, before we get down here, let's get into some news and notes because, man, do we have a lot of news and notes to talk about. Like I told you guys, it's crazy how many tidbits and, and just news pieces have dropped this week. It's incredible. First things first, recruiting news. Hashtag welcome home. The Shane train continues to roar on as three-star defensive back Peyton Williams commits from the state of Florida. And guys, I said this on social media, but I'll say it here again. It is absolutely crazy just how many out-of-state guys the Gamecocks are getting under Shane Beaver. We're seeing Delaware. We're seeing Texas. We're seeing the state of Florida. Actually, I think Peyton Williams was the state of Texas. Let me look really quickly. Again, my brain has been going a, a thousand freaking miles an hour. So if I messed up on, yeah, Texas. Again, Texas safety. 2022 Texas safety. My apologies. So again, but the state of Texas, the state of Florida, we're seeing guys from like Miami. We're seeing Delaware. I think what you love to see right now is Shane Beamer. He's not limited to just the state of South Carolina. He's not limited to just the Southeast. His recruiting footprint because of his time at Oklahoma, because of his time at other stops, it is going to expand basically everywhere. Peyton Williams, again, it addresses a position of need, a guy you like his length, you like his speed, and a guy that I think could come in and be an immediate impact guy for you. Also, a welcome home tweet from Shane Beamer Wednesday afternoon. Who is it? As of right now, we don't know. Sports Talk SC, which, of course, we had Phil Cornblue on the show for today. Phil, Phil Cornblue saying July 5th is when we should be finding out who this latest welcome home tweet is. So we'll have to wait until July 5th. For those asking if it's Oscar Delp, for those asking if it's Prutney, the safety out of Kansas, Guys, I don't think it is. I have no idea. I am waiting just like you all are. But again, things continue to roll all aboard the Shane train as Beamer Ball keeps it moving. Hey, we got a little bit of baseball news as well. The transfer portal strikes again. And this one hurt me. Brennan Malone hitting the portal. Guys, I'll tell you this long story short, not surprised. Um, I was pretty close to the Malone camp all season long. And, uh, you know, to say they were less than thrilled with how the season went is putting it very, very, excuse me, very, very kindly. Um, yeah, to say they were less than thrilled with how the season went, you know, that, that was the biggest thing, man, why, why I was so, you know, and I like Mark Kingston. I'm still a Mark Kingston guy, but that doesn't mean he's perfect. That doesn't mean he's above criticism. That's why I was so critical of Mark Kingston when he played musical chairs at third base and couldn't pick one guy because not only did it kill you in the short term, in the short run, but it's killing you in the long run. You lost Michael Robinson. You lost Jeff Heinrich. And now you lose Brennan Malone to the transfer portal. So, again, I wish Brennan up with the best. A great kid. I, I think he's going to be a fantastic player wherever he goes. You know, you guys can, can snicker and huff and puff and laugh and whatever and pull up his average. I guarantee you I would be willing to bet you Brennan Malone will hit over 300 wherever he goes next year and will hit double-digit homers and will probably be a guy that's drafted in the top 10 rounds. I'm telling you right now, he's a big-time, legit prospect, legit talent, and I wish Brennan up with the best. Um, on that note, though, Hey, the portal giveth, the, the portal giveth, 
and the portal take it away. And it gave back that same night as Brant Belt from Missouri committed to the Gamecocks in a really surprising commitment. And many of you asked Chris, how does Chris, how does this help us? Well, Brant Belt can play third base. He can play corner infield. He can play outfield. He can do a little bit of everything. And I remember Brant Belt specifically from when South Carolina played Missouri. So I think he'll be a welcome addition. I would honestly expect him to see, in the li- see him in the lineup. I-, I would be pretty damn surprised if he's not in the lineup for the Gamecocks next season. A-, a guy that hit over 270 this year, obviously a quality player, a quality hitter, and you need as many quality sticks as you can get, especially from the left side, which Belk provides you guys. Sticking to the baseball notes, six Gamecocks were listed in the top 500 MLB prospects for the 2021 MLB draft, which is upcoming in a few weeks. So it should be interesting. A lot of you guys ask me who's staying, who's going. Guys, I think right now Brandon Jordan, Thomas Farr, Wes Clark, and Brady Allen are all 110% gone. Again, I think folks that try to tell you that Brady Allen and Wes Clark are back, they are fanboys that just don't want to believe that they're not leaving. But guys, 110%, they are gone. Do not listen to anybody else's opinion on South Carolina baseball or what they're telling you because they're wrong. I'm sorry. I hate to be that guy, and I'm not normally that beat my chest. I know more than you do, but I'm telling you in this scenario, the people that keep saying, oh, Wes Clark's coming back. Oh, Brady Allen. No, no, they're not. No, they're not. They're not coming back, bro. They're not coming back. Wes Clark might be a top five round pick. He is not coming back to school in a discussion. Uh, Real quick, before we get into your listener questions, back to the football side of things, five Gamecocks named to Phil Steele's preseason all SEC team, and of course, it is magazine season as Phil Steele's magazine has dropped, and I will be diving into that with Phil Steele himself very, very soon. So, so stay tuned for that, guys. Let's get into your listener questions, and we'll dive into our interview. First thing, Easy underscore Bex says, "Who do you think the best center of all time in South Carolina history?" Man, that is really specific and really tough. You know, easy Bex, I, I, I'd have to do some digging. I, I can't give you um, I can't give you a fair answer without doing some digging. Maybe my guy, uh, you know, I, the, the name Chris White comes to mind. Um, TJ Johnson comes to mind. Del Wilkes comes to mind. I, I don't know if Del played center, though. But uh, there's been some really, really good ones. Really, really good ones. Tons of great offensive linemen and tons of great centers as well. Last question. Austin G underscore 45 says, I think this is a game where our D-line could have a lot of success. What say you? And yeah, Austin G, listen, I, I think there's going to be a lot of games where our defensive line can have a ton of success. And we're going to be, we're going to be counting on them to have a ton of success because, hey, we all know the questions surrounding this defense. We all understand the weaknesses, the strengths, if you will. The strength is up front, bottom line. The strength is up front for this ball club, and we need our guys, to get pressure. Bottom line, to help that secondary. So, yeah, I, I think certainly J.J. Nibari, Jordan Birch. The biggest thing, not looking too far ahead, but the biggest thing in this game is this. I wonder what this Gamecocks football team will look like at this point in the season. When it comes to depth and it comes to you know injuries, if you will, because it is week 11. It is week 11. And you hope this Gamecocks football team is still at full strength. That's going to be a big storyline. At that point in the year, we all know that depth is a concern. So what will this team look like? But, hey, I think this defensive line, if you're full strength, you're ready to go, I think you could have a ton of success and a field day against Connor Basilak and that Missouri attack. Uh, I actually have two more questions from Twitter. At Kenny Setzer says, why is Missouri in the SEC? Uh, That's a question for Greg Sankey, Kenny. I have no idea why. Patrick Parker says, I'll break them down for you. They suck. 
That is all. Love the analysis, Patrick. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hey, with that being said, that's a great place to put a pin in it, guys. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Like I said, guys, now we have a great conversation. Phil Cornblum. Hey, before you guys say, oh, Chris Tiger, Phil, this, that, give the conversation a chance. Phil Cornblum of Sports Talk SC does a fantastic job with them. Really, really good stuff. And believe it or not, Phil was an inspiration to yours truly. As I was growing up, listening with my grandfather in the garage to the radios, we'd listen to football games, and we used to tune into sports talk all the time and listen to those guys do a fantastic job and break stuff down. And, you know, back before Twitter and social media, the internet and all that good stuff, you would tune into the radio and you would cling to every single word said as you counted down the days to kick off. So again, a really cool conversation. It's really funny how life comes full circle. And of course, a lot of great insight from Phil as we talk Shane Beamer, the 2021 season, the Carolina-Clemson rivalry, a lot of good stuff there. So again, guys, appreciate you all tuning in. Thank you all so much. Have a great rest of your Thursday. Now enjoy this conversation with Phil Cornblue of Sports Talk. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show, very excited, guys. He's the host of South Carolina's longest-running sports talk show in the state of South Carolina. Sports talk, been going strong for 36 years, and, of course, he also covers the Gamecocks on the USC beat. Has too many accolades and aim. We could spend this entire show breaking those down, but, again, you know him best. Phil Cornblue. Appreciate Phil taking the time again of Sports Talk, the longest-running sports talk show in the state of South Carolina. Phil, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's truly a pleasure and an honor to be speaking with you here today. Thanks so much for doing this. Well, it's a first time for us. It's great to meet you, and uh, congratulations on what you have done, and good luck in the future. Continue to see your your presence grow and uh, your audience grow, so that's great. Keep it up. Phil, I appreciate that, man. I appreciate the kind words. And I will say this before we get rolled into everything, just kind of side note. So uh, my grandfather, late grandfather, who passed in 2014, he's the one that really got me into college football and being a diehard Gamecock and all that stuff. We grew up around the North Augusta area, whatever. But, uh, you know, this was probably the age of 11 or 12 when it really, really clicked for me, you know, the passion and how just how big of a deal it was. So this is into 2002, beginning of 2003, when it really clicked and I became a diehard South Carolina fan. And so we would sit yeah. in the garage at my grandpa's house and watch the games and everything else. But what also something else we did, we always listened to sports talk. It was you, <laughs> it was you, K-Mac, and who, who, was the, who was the third guy again? Uh, probably Professor Tom Hayes. Profess, yes, Professor Tom Hayes. We would literally mm-hmm. listen. Yeah. I mean, that was a staple. Six to eight, we would always tune in and uh, – so, you know, it was, it was, it's crazy, I guess, how life comes full circle. And I mean, this is, I mean, literally, I, I think back probably from like 2004 to 2009 when I was, yeah. you know, throughout middle school and high school, I, I listened to God knows how many hours of sports talk. And I mean, of course, then, you know, we, you know, we'd listen to games on the radio because there was no SEC network. There was no SEC network plus, and there was no social media. So when you were trying to get that, that preseason fix, if you will, you know, Sports talk on the radio. That was that was literally it, man. You were waiting all day till six o'clock to be like, all right, yeah. what what did what did Steve Spurrier say? What did the coaches say? What's going on? You know, and of course, football yeah. across the the state of South Carolina as well. So I just want to say, obviously, it's uh, you know, you never know how how far and wide the impact of what you do will go. So I, I appreciate you guys and the work you do. And like I said, I was listening, like I said, back in the days of old K Mac and Professor Tom Hayes. So you guys mm-hmm. do a fantastic job. I just wanted to bring that to the light to you. And it's it's crazy, like I said, how 
how things come full circle, I guess. So, well, thank you for that. And, uh, yeah, you know, it was kind of neat back in the day before everything became available at your fingertips to, uh, to be a source, to be the source in a lot of ways for information that people couldn't get until 605. Everything's changed now, obviously. I mean, you know, we're all in this business, uh, sort of not so much reporting as we are repeating because celebrities report on themselves, athletes report on themselves, politicians report on themselves. So they don't need us really anymore. So we've sort of made the transition in large part from uh, reporters to opinion, opinion makers or opinionators. Is that a word? Mm-hmm. Um, doing more uh, with our opinions, not forgetting the news side of it, because I also believe that not everybody looks at Twitter 24 hours a day like you and I probably do, and they're not locked into the Internet uh, all day long. So there are people that tune in after six o'clock who do not know what's going on that day. They actually have real important jobs and uh, and they tune in to find out what's going on. But also they want to know our thinking about it, our, our take on it. So we try to we try to provide that as well. Yeah, and you guys have evolved too with sports talk as far as you know the, the digital show and everything. I know you guys stream the the yeah. radio show now to Twitter and all that. And I mean it's just it's crazy, I guess, how the entire game has changed. But I, I tell people all the time, you know, because of you know what we do with the Spurs Up show and it's new age quote unquote media. But I, I I really think it's important for, you know, we had Rick Henry on the show a couple of weeks ago, and I think it's important for, you know, whether you're someone who's been in the business for 40 years or someone who's a kid in high school right now listening who wants to start a media entity, like respecting both sides and seeing the perspective of both. And I, I think that's super important. So what, what you guys do and the role you guys have in media, I think is extremely important. Again, you guys do a great job. And like I said, I just thought that was kind of a, a, a fun thing. Like I, yeah. I literally remember being 14, 15, 16 years old, my grandfather listening, literally you're, you're hanging on to every word. And that, you know, when there's about 40 days to kick off and fall camp about to start. And again, yeah. that's back in the days of, People were going on. This is this is a funny one. People were going on cockytalk.com to read Spurticus's practice reports. Everybody's like, who is this guy? It's just it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy how much things have changed. But again, Phil, appreciate you taking the time. I, I want to yeah. go back first before we get in everything with sports talk specifically in the Gamecocks. Your career in, in media, in South Carolina media, obviously, I'm sure it's been a long one and there's there's many different directions you could go. But you know, where did you start? What made you want to get into it? Obviously, again, you cover the Gamecocks, you cover Clemson. I believe you went to University of South Carolina, though, and you are a graduate. But just kind of, if, if you can, I guess, I know it's been a long one, but summarize your career in, in, in sports media in South Carolina and also sports talk. I mean, where did that come about? Again, you guys have been running for 36 years strong, I believe now. Uh, yeah. Longest running show, like I said, in South Carolina. Just kind of, you know, if you can, summarize, break down your, your path in sports media, if you will. Yeah, I'll try to keep it simple and short. So, you know, uh, just growing up, uh, playing a little ball here and there, but just a huge sports fan as a kid, uh, started reading the sports pages at a very early age, and I was just uh, smitten with sports. I don't know why. It really wasn't deeply ingrained in me and my family background or anything like that. I just uh, moved in that direction. So, anyway, I go to USC and I major in journalism. I'm, I'm over on the broadcast side of things and uh, start working in radio, got my first internship as a junior at South Carolina in 1977, uh, working for a guy named Bill Wagey at the old WIS radio, which is WBOC now. And I mean, he was fantastic. And uh, one of the first things I covered 
was uh, the South Carolina Clemson football game of 1977, that great game at williams Bryce Stadium. And um, my job was to go into the Clemson locker room because Bill covered the Gamecocks. So hmm. he gave me a tape recorder, and he said, walk in there. And he said, um, you'll see a bunch of naked guys walking around and just look for the ones that look like they played and stick your mic in there. <laughs> and that's basically what I did. My first interview was with Ken Calicut, the Clemson running back. And uh, he looked like a guy who had played. I didn't know who he was. And I just asked him a couple of questions and, and off we went. So internship and then, you know, graduated and, and got into radio. And like you do in the business early on, you know, moved around a little bit, uh, started out in a, at a daytime station in Ridgeland, South Carolina, uh, worked back in Columbia at WVOC, WIS, uh, moved up to the upstate Greenville Spartanburg. And then in 1984, a guy named Don Williams, um, who was working with the South Carolina radio network, which was formed in 1978. Uh, he created this statewide sports talk show called sports talk. And, uh, he knew me from my work and we kind of knew each other, uh, our past and crossed here or there. And he contacted me and said, I'm putting this show together and I want you to, to be a part of it. Uh, at that time, his job was working with the Gamecocks as well. They had the rights to the Gamecocks. And so he was Bob Fulton's right-hand man. Uh, he did play-by-play. -play. He did the sidelines. Uh, he did basketball. He did baseball. And so my job was to come in and cover Clemson and uh, be a fill-in host and, and do high schools and recruiting, uh, NASCAR, things like that. And so I said, yeah, man, let's do it. And so I joined in. Uh, September of 84 is when we launched with 11 radio stations. And I mean, as they say, the rest is history. We've been going ever <laughs> since then. Uh, we're at 28 radio signals. Now you mentioned the streaming and everything, you know, we came to realize that that's, um, you know, a lot of people are doing what you're doing. They're looking at their laptops. They're looking at their phones. They're taking YouTube and putting it up on their big screen. It's their alternative way of getting, our show when they can't hear it over the radio. I always stress number one, our radio stations, they're the most important outlet to me. And that's what I always encourage people to go, go through, but there's times when you can't get it or they've cut away to something else, or you've left the state. You can't, you can't get us that way. So the streaming has become an integral part of what we do. So, and, you know, talking about things coming full circle. So, you know, I worked for South Carolina Radio Network from 1984 through uh, 2019. And over that period of time, we had different owners. Um, we never had ownership from anybody in South Carolina. It was always out-of-state ownership. Uh, Tennessee, uh, up in the Northeast, we had Florida owners. Our most recent owners uh, were uh, was Learfield, uh, Learfield IMG. Well, it was Learfield. They, they merged with IMG late in our ownership. So anyway, they closed uh, our offices in Columbia. They, they shut down the network in, uh, on January 28th of uh, 2019. They called us in and asked for our keys. You know, we knew what was going on. So what I did was um, start my own company and restart the network. Took about three weeks to get the stations back on board. So I actually own the network now. So that's the, you talk about coming full circle, you know, yeah. I always worked for somebody uh, and now I work for myself. So it's a, you know, 
lot different than it has been the, the previous you know, 36 years or so, but it, it's a great adventure. And it's kind of, um, you know, for a guy that moved on down the road a little bit, it's kind of re-energized me and um, mm. got new enthusiasm to try to build this new, uh, this new operation. And that's what it's all about, man. The joys and the journey. I would say it worked out uh, pretty well for you guys. Speaking of radio, by the way, it was 92.7. That's where we were tuned in. 92.7. Yeah. Being in WKSX. The- yes. Johnston <laughs> Aiken. What a great yes, station. Yes. Unfortunately, they were sold last year. Really? Uh, no, earlier, earlier this year. Earlier this year, they were sold. A guy named Mike Casey owned it all these years, hmm. and he sold it to a, a guy up in the upstate and all they're doing now is streaming gospel music. So the people, <laughs> the people who were working there, they took the station, they took the station format and they're now doing it on the internet. They still carry our show. It's called jukebox radio. They stream it on the internet. So they just took the programming that was on that station, mm-hmm. but they're only they're doing it now on the internet. So, but I do hate not having that signal um, in that area covering Aiken and Augusta and Johnston yeah, and Edgefield yeah. and all those areas. Yeah, because like I said, that's that's where I'm born and raised, North Augusta, and my my grandparents lived right on the edge of North Augusta and that Edgefield line. Yeah, well. so that, yeah. that was the reason yeah. we were 92.7. Now, getting yeah. specifically into you know with sports talk, Phil, I feel like recruiting is definitely like your niche. That's your thing, and, and you have ties, of course, all of the state. We're not just talking Gamecocks. We're not just talking Clemson, but I mean all of the the smaller schools, if you will, which certainly deserve the attention, the respect. I mean, I'm a guy that went to Newberry. I'm literally rocking the the Newberry baseball shirt or whatever and played there. Some of you guys cover all of the schools. But I want to ask you, where does that love and that passion for recruiting come from? Because I feel like following you, and maybe I'm reading it wrong, but to cover recruiting the way you recover it in depth, I mean, you have to truly love the process of recruiting. And I'll be totally honest with you, Phil, Phil, and I feel like it's, blasphemy for someone that does what I do to say this but I've told my audience this many many times like I'm not someone that it doesn't get my rocks off to know how a 16 year old felt about a visit to our school it just you know what I'm saying it's never I love recruiting to a degree but especially in today's day and age where guys are releasing top 15 lists and they're releasing offer lists I mean you know it's recruiting has become such a just a it's just so all over the place but for you specifically, what makes recruiting so enjoyable to you? What do you love so much about it that makes it where you can cover it to the level in which you guys do? Well, I can promise you that I did not grow up dreaming to be a guy that covered <laughs> recruiting, okay? I mean, that, that never entered my mind, never even knew the first thing about it, was never mm-hmm. exposed to it. First exposed to it when I was with Bill Wagey, and there was a guy out of Detroit who was an engineer with Ford Motor Company. And once a year in Sports Illustrated, in the scorecard section, once a year, he would publish a top 20 recruiting class list. And he would just list the colleges. Here are your top 20 football recruiting classes for this year. He was the only one that did anything with it. And in fact, Bill would get him on the show to talk about it. And so that's where I first kind of got a a glimpse of this thing. And then Bill sort of dabbled in it a little bit and got me dabbling in it a little bit, calling some players here and there for his show. So eventually when I moved to um, Greenville and started doing sports up there, I started making recruiting calls on players and part and, and started reporting this information. All of a sudden, 
people would start contacting me about players or asking me about this guy, that guy. And I thought to myself, I mean, people know who you are now. You know, I had no real identity in the sports business up to that point. I was just really a sports reporter, no major identity, not a personality or anything like that. All of a sudden, people are noticing who I am and what my name is. And so I thought to myself, you know, this could be your little niche. This could be a little niche. Nobody was really doing it locally or not that much nationally. A guy named Alan Wallace had a publication in California named Super Prep. And there were publications like that starting to spring up. So when I came to the network and Don had noticed what I was doing in recruiting and they gave me a full budget, an open budget to say, and just, they said, you know, whatever you need to do to cover recruiting, you do it. Phone calls. You know, this was back when you had phone bills with long, with long distance phone calls and I could run up a phone bill. We're talking, <laughs> uh, we're talking hundreds of dollars because you make a long distance phone call, you know, Remember how it was back then? I guess maybe right. you don't know how it was back then, but <laughs> they gave me a, a blank check really to do what I needed to do to cover recruiting. And it, I was the only one really doing it to that extent. And then newspapers asked me to cover for them to help out. And I did that. And then newspapers themselves, they saw the value in covering recruiting and they had their own reporters start to cover recruiting I, you know the state the greenville news they used to spend a lot of time doing that but you know because there was no internet and there was no instant news release you know if i got information on a kid committing like at you know two in the afternoon i could hold it till six o'clock that night in fact i could tease in the show make people wait hey 705 we'll have news big yeah. recruiting news you can't do that now i mean it's an yeah. instant rush so that's kind of how it got started and I started a publication called The Recruiting News back in the 80s, a print publication. And then, of course, gravitated to the website side of things as, as that developed. And it's really, I mean, to me, recruiting is like breathing. It's just part of what I do every day. I don't, I don't, uh, I mean, I enjoy it. Um, I still enjoy uh, talking to the kids. It's changed. Uh, it's, it's changed so much because kids today uh, in a lot of ways, uh, you know, they're wiser, they're more worldly. Uh, they're more into themselves. They don't really used to be, you call a kid, they really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. They appreciate the exposure. Now kids are exposed so early and they have so much of it. They don't need people like me to call them and give them exposure. They've got their own Twitter and they got everything else. So it's a little bit more difficult today to get the elite players to talk to you. Um, the ones I really appreciate are the kind of the, like this basketball player that Clemson, that South Carolina just got committed from Denmark older. Nobody had ever heard of him. I had never really heard of him until he committed, but he was appreciative of the phone call, the conversation, the interview. And that's, you know, I still enjoy uh, when I connect with a player like that. Mm. Um, you know, it's still fun to, to um, see commitments come out. I mean, there's, it used to be like you mentioned, you don't get your rocks off on um, breaking commitments or that kind of information. Mm. Yeah. It used to be really quite the deal to break mm. a commitment, but now, you know, uh, a website breaks a commitment and 30 seconds later, it's all over mm. Twitter and everybody's got it. So yeah. You just don't have that same sort of uh, 
sensation, I guess you would say, mm-hmm. that you had back when it was an exclusive and you were the only one that had it and you were the only one putting it out and everybody knew where it was coming from. Now people within, within three or four minutes, they can't remember what site they got the information from because it's out there so quick. Right. Just yeah. like today, Shane Beamer put out a commitment alert and uh, you know, everybody was working to try to find out who it is. And yeah. you know, the best I could come up with and is that the kid wants to wait until July 5th to announce. And so he's not putting out anything and everybody sort of who would, who would know sort of tighten the hatches on that story. So, you know, you're going to have to wait until July 5th for the yeah. young man to put it out. <laughs> I mean, I kind of have an idea yeah. who it is, but out of respect to him, yeah. you know, you don't want to, if the kid wants to have a day, you let him have a day. I don't want right, to right. you know, do that. So, right. but anyway, it's just recruiting just become part of my everyday um, function something that I've done for over 30 years and I'll probably keep doing it till I can't do it anymore. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, you know, with recruiting, listen, it's the lifeblood of college football. You have to do it to win and be successful. I don't care who your coach is. You got to have the, the Jimmy's and Joe's versus the X's and O's. I guess for me from probably from the fan side of things, it's like, it's, it's such a kids can change their minds so quick. And man, it's, it's such a bummer when you get like the Stockton thing. I mean, it's just, it's such a bummer to, get all hype and invested in the guy and then boom, they're gone. And I mean, I, that was for obvious reasons, but it's like, man. So I'm one of those, I get excited when guys commit, but, and again, it's a different kind of, I think, perspective for you because it's for business and you're covering everybody. I'm thinking specifically from the South kind of side of things. I tell people, Hey, let's put pen to paper. Let's get on campus, let the pads pop. And let's, let's, let's let all that talk and all that hype right. come to fruition. And then we get it. Well, either way, whatever. Well, the, the, is, the, it the is. hype, the yeah. hype and the talk, I mean, listen, that's what keeps our shows going. In you're right. You're right. In the you're right. And, you know, um, I always do a recruiting report every night on the show. Um, mm-hmm. We don't get the calls, the volume of calls on recruiting like we used to because so many, so much of the information's on the internet. And I will get into, we'll get some occasional call here or there, but not like we used to. I used to do, I think you might've mentioned it, a Sunday night recruiting show. That was two hours of nothing but recruiting. Um, and it's because nobody else had it, you know, yeah. now there's no need to, to do that. Um, it, it would, you know, it just, it, the information would be stale by the time we put it out there. So, um, but you mentioned the Gunner Stockton, and you're right. I mean, this is how right now, this is how colleges uh, put their rosters together. It's the process. And you get a guy like Gunner Stock, Stockton committed to you. I mean, there's reason to be excited because he's supposed right. to be that extra special, that extra, that next level quarterback. And, and the guy you build your getting. class around. The guy you yeah, build your class yeah. around. And, yeah. and you know, in this, in this age, the way football is being played, you're not going to win big if you don't have a quarterback. Right. And that guy looked, uh, you know, really, really good. He's going to look really good at Georgia. And right. uh, that's a big loss for South Carolina. Now, you know, the hope is that uh, somebody they've got now or maybe somebody coming in, you know, is going to be that quarterback. Time will right. tell. But they by all accounts, this guy was special, just like yeah. a Trevor Lawrence or Deshaun mm-hmm. Watson, how they were at Clemson. You know, you've got that uh, generational type quarterback. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I, I will say, even with me, I, I've gotten much more into recruiting and been excited for it with uh, Shane Beamer. It's hard not to be, you know, optimistic and positive and see everything, all the momentum on the recruiting trail and these official visits, especially with on-campus visits coming back. Before we get into that, Phil, I, I want to ask you, because I, I guess you started uh, covering South Carolina, specifically on the South Carolina beat. Was it 
when sports talk started or was it after that or when did that come about? Well, um, you know, I covered them uh, again, starting in 77 when I was a, 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 an intern. So I was you know assigned to South Carolina and I did a lot of Gamecock coverage. Um, and, and, um, but yeah, in 84, when I came to the network, um, of course, my first job at the time was to co- cover Clemson. Eventually, when Don moved to another, uh, to different uh, roles in the network, uh, I took over Sports Talk uh, full time, and that allowed me to cover Clemson and South Carolina more. Okay. Now, I would gotcha. always like if I went to a Clemson game, and a lot of times Clemson would play the one o'clock game, and South Carolina would play a seven o'clock game, and Remember back then in those years, there were no websites. All my job was, was to get the post-game audio, pack up my equipment and leave. So I was out of there lickety split. Yeah. Uh, you can't do that today because you got to sit and write your web story right. and all that. <clears throat> but I would pack up and I would go to Columbia. And if South Carolina had a night game, I'd do the double header. I'd see Clemson and I'd go see South Carolina. I, I went to see South Carolina at every opportunity. Um, and then – once I became the, the lead host of the show, then I would choose the better okay. game. And I kind of do this. I've done that ever since. I, I do that now. Um, I tend to do all the travel games now with my setup with uh, Chris Bergen and, and Matt Smith, the way things work. I tend to, to, to take the, the, um, the longer travel. It's just easier for me than for those guys. So I'll, I'll see about uh, in a given season, I'll see South Carolina six or seven times, and I'll see Clemson six or seven times. That's what I try to do. Got you. Well, Phil, the reason I ask that is because I, I just really want to get your perspective on, you know, Lou Holtz and then Steve Spurrier back-to-back. I mean, that's like a media member's dream, getting oh, yeah. to cover those guys. And, you know, most South Carolina fans and people tied to the program and probably people that covered the Gamecocks never thought South Carolina would get one of those guys, much less both of them. Just talk about, you know, Covering South kind of during that time, you know, first with Lou Holtz and, of course, Steve Spurrier, which speaks for itself, the Zingers. And, I mean, he even mm-hmm. threw out a media member that I'm sure you were you were friends with at one point. I mean, he was just all over yeah. the place. But yeah. uh, it's great for content. It's great for stories. It, it, it's great for what, you know, you and I do, obviously. But how I guess how cool was that covering mm-hmm. Hall of Fame coaches, you know, back-to-back yeah. like that? It was wild. It was wild. Um, I remember the day Lou Holtz uh, was brought in for his press conference over at Williams Bryce Stadium. That's where they had his welcoming press conference, and it was it was off and running with Lou at that from that point forward. Um, he was an interesting individual to say the least. He was media savvy. He was media friendly, and um, you know suffered through that winless first season. He still kept his wits about him, and then and, and then he looked like a genius the next two years and he made South Carolina a really good football team. Those next two years, as we know, it, it got away from him uh, after that point and it did not end well for him in South Carolina, but he was always gracious to the media. Um, he, he always knew your name and he knew how to answer your questions, kind of knew what you were looking for because that's the kind of person Lou Holtz uh, was and still is. I mean, he's a very, media savvy guy he's always uh, played the media well and done the media well as a media person himself so right. but that was a lot of fun and um you know, it was good football you know I covered both of those bowl games down in Tampa when they beat Ohio State and that was pretty cool that was pretty cool and then um you know Spurrier was just a uh, 
a totally different bird um, because, I mean, he too was obviously very media savvy. Uh, and he always liked to kind of direct the narrative, you know, the way he wanted it to be portrayed. Um, and he was very good at doing that. He knew how to take a question and sort of bend it this way, that way, whatever uh, fit his answer. But you never, ever missed a Steve Spurrier media opportunity. Never. Because you just never know or never knew what he was going to say, what topics he was going to bring up. Eddie Fogler was like that as well. I love covering Eddie Fogler when he was the basketball coach because mm. you never knew what topic he was going to go off on, whether it's going to be an opposing coach or Mike McGee or just something, something, he, you know, football that got under his skin. Uh, yeah, Spurrier was the same way. Used to love and see Spurrier. The thing about Spurrier was he didn't care about, you know, transferring. You want to transfer, I'll give you a free pass to go anywhere you want to go. You know, people come and watch practice. You want to come and watch practice, you come and watch practice. Uh, he opened it up for everybody, opened it up for the media. And, you know, there would be days they would try to have a schedule for him. Okay, these days he's going to talk to the media. But he never went by that. You'd be standing there. He'd be in his golf cart at the far end of the field. This is the old practice fields by the mm -hmm. National yeah. Guard Armory. He'd drive over to the media. He'd, he'd hop out of the cart. Anybody need uh, any quotes? Who needs quotes? And, of course, we'd all just sort of – for whoever we were talking to, we'd be doing players or coordinators. we just – you know, it was over to him. And uh, he would take on all questions. He loved it. He loved that stuff. Um so, and of course, the great, the great ride of uh, what, uh, 2010, 2011, yeah. 12, 13. Yeah. Ton of fun. Ton of fun. Couldn't touch them. Couldn't touch them. They had great teams and really good coaches. Um, they worked well together. And he was at his height, you know, at South Carolina. He was at his height. He was, you know, mm. had him on the verge of doing something very special and, um, you know, probably should have. They should have let him walk away when he was ready to walk away, and they wouldn't have had that that messy ending. But uh, he was a lot of fun to cover, and uh, you know, never knew what he was going to say, what he was going to going to talk about. Never wanted to miss that. Now, Phil, did he throw any zingers specifically your way? Any that you recall? Anything that uh, sticks out? Oh, yeah, I've been zinged by every coach I've covered <laughs> for one reason or another. You know, I have this. Uh, this meet this this internet created reputation well, and, and i was i was going to ask you that as my yeah. next question is like why does everybody give you such a hard time i mean obviously the nicknames well, there's there's tiger phil and then I, I even see like steve finks giving you a hard time and no, i remember yeah, must champ must champ snapping on you after the clemson game i'm like what is yeah. phil doing to people like yeah, what yeah, what, yeah what's going on you know clemson fans call me corn coot um <laughs> gamecock fans call me tiger phil uh, and yeah, that the Tiger Phil uh, handle has sort of been passed down from uh, football coach to football coach. I think um, and it's just because I'm not, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, owned by either one. Right. You know, right. I'm, I'm not. Uh, um, you know, you're doing I, your job when both sides have a nickname for you. I will say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I covered them both, and I'm not. You know, I'm not afraid to what I, I what I to ask what I think are tip or uh, tough questions. Yeah. Maybe not popular questions, and uh, uh, sometimes questions that coaches don't want to hear or answer, right. whatever. But I always try to ask questions that I think the audience wants to hear. 
that audience wants answers for, you know, um, I'm not doing it for my own good. I'm doing it for the people that listen to our show or read what we report. Um, and so I try to ask questions from that standpoint, whether it's about um, uh, X's and O's or something uh, related to players or something, you know, you know, personally that you have to ask. I don't particularly like doing that, but you have to ask those questions. You can't be, you can't be afraid of the subject and you can't um, be such a fan of the people that you cover that you lose perspective of what you're doing. So I think because uh, we have that freedom, I've always looked at our show as one of the few where we're not tied to the school, you know, anymore. Now for a while there, when uh, South Carolina radio network had a contract with the Gamecocks, you know, did we walk on some eggshells there? I wasn't the main guy. So maybe we did, but don't have to do that. Haven't had to do that for decades now. And so, you know, we try to treat Clemson and South Carolina fairly and evenly and honestly. And um, so, yeah, we kind of get the zingers both ways. I, I take them as a, it's a badge of honor uh, to have those names, I guess, because if you're getting under the skin of people from the media standpoint, you know, mm-hmm. then you are, I think, doing your job. You're just not being mm-hmm. that, um, that little fanboy that I, I just mm-hmm. can't to tolerate with some of the situations we have in media settings today and phil i 110 percent respect that because i mean I, i'm a gamecock fan i still have people that think i'm a clemson fan in disguise for some strength it's like yeah I, I put myself through this this torture at times for fun no i mean yeah, yeah. <laughs> so but no i i definitely 110 percent respect that yeah being yeah. able to ask those tough questions and and uh, at least have that you know remove yourself from it and have that perspective. I think it's admirable, obviously, even, even with you being an alum, being able to, to do the job you do. And, it, and it's well appreciated because I tell people all well, the time, you know, people that ask me about like media and trying to start something, it's like, you know, people, people might think that they want to hear what they want to hear, but they really don't. They want to be challenged. People really do. They respect that a lot more and they interact and they engage with it. Numbers don't lie. I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be on the air for 36 years if, if it were the, the contrary, in my opinion. Well, so. I, I think I've been fair over all the yeah. years. And look, I mean, I'm not hiding from the fact that I went to South Carolina. I, I grew right. up a huge Gamecock fan and um, I got my degree from there. I loved, loved my time in South Carolina. Right. You know, it's like anybody in college, best four years of your life or for some people, best six years of their life. <laughs> but uh, I got out in four and, and went to work. But I, I knew that if I were if I was ever going to become anything uh, respected in my, in my work. And that's what we all want is to be respected. I mean, I could not have any personal feelings involved in what I was doing. Maybe I uh, sometimes early on in my years um, went a little far the other way to separate myself from my South Carolina history and didn't want to come across as being soft on South Carolina because I went there and all that. So I think I've success been successful in doing that. Mm-hmm. And Though I cherished my time at South Carolina, um, you know, it was a great four years, got great memories. I mean, you know, they're just another team to me. Mm-hmm. When I go and watch a game, they're just another team. Clemson's just another team. When I go watch uh, Furman or Citadel, whoever, they're just another team that I'm covering. Do I like it when they do well and have good teams and wins, you know, all across the board? Absolutely, because that's it's good for business. Yeah, it's good for li- listenership. It's good for readership. It's good for interest. People will be interested about them. If you know, if our teams were two and three win teams every year, 
you wouldn't be doing what you're doing. I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. So not a whole lot of fun. I'll tell you no, that. No, <laughs> so, you know, I, but again, I'm not, I'm not sitting in the press box um, reacting right. when the Gamecocks uh, throw a pick or score a touchdown or Clemson mm. uh, scores a touchdown or has a turnover go against them, you know, just yeah. observe. It's business. It's business. It's, it's, yeah. it's business. I'm observing and I'm trying to report the best I can. Yeah, absolutely. No, a true professional. Well, speaking of that, Phil, let's get to current day South Carolina football. Before we talk present day, I, I do just want to go back a, just briefly to last season in 2020. And of course, the 2020 year, obviously far beyond sports, was just a topsy-turvy all over the place year. But specifically Gamecocks football in 2020, you know, at this time last year was a very, very different outlook. You know, we were going into Will Muschamp's fifth season and you know, I, I thought the interesting storyline and narrative going in that season, Phil, was, oh, you know, this is going to be a gimme year. It's a total wash. It's a mulligan. You know, as long as Muschamp and the Gamecocks, as long as they just don't lose every single game, you know what I mean? There's no way they're going to get rid of him. They're going to give him that 2021 season. And, of course, not only for South Carolina was that not true, but we saw it at Auburn. We saw it at Tennessee. We saw it at Vanderbilt. I mean, heck, we saw – you know, as many coaching changes, if not more, last year than I think you'd see in a regular season. How surprised, if at all surprised, were you to see Sal kind of move on from Will Muschamp to pay the buyout, especially? Because, of course, that was the big thing at all. You know, the economic ramifications, and no, there's no way they'll pay that money and pull the trigger. And, you know, South Carolina's higher-ups and their boosters were more than more than welcome to do that, more, more than willing to do that, I should say. But how surprised were you, if at all, that South kind of moved on from Will Muschamp last season in the fashion in which they did so? Well, I was, first of all, very surprised that it didn't work for Will Muschamp. Um, when he was hired, and I know he wasn't the first guy on the list when they were looking to uh, hire a new coach, but when they ended up with him, I thought it was a good hire. You know, here's a guy, okay, he was the number one uh, assistant coach in the country. He was the coach in waiting at Texas, and he goes to Florida, has a really good second season, but an overall run there that wasn't good enough for them. And so they let him go, and uh, he goes to Auburn. He gets a chance to come back to the SEC as a head coach after one year. That doesn't happen very often. And I thought, this guy is – um. You know, he's got a terrific track record as an assistant coach, and he did win 28 out of, what, 59 games? At, no, 49. 28 and 21, I think it was, at Florida, which at South mm -hmm. Carolina would be very acceptable. And he seemed passionate about the job. He seemed uh, extremely energetic, uh, seemed uh, very much understanding about the recruiting side of things, very, very uh, active uh, in doing that. So – I thought they'd hit on a, on a good hire there. And uh, I thought this guy is going to get it done young. He's, and also he's going to be very appreciative of the fact that South Carolina gave him a chance. He's not going to be using South Carolina as a stepping stone. He should look at South Carolina as a, as a home. And, you know, in the way he purchased his property and his kids were playing in the community and his wife was opening businesses and all that, it looked that way, you know, they, they looked in great. So, um, you know, unfortunately, after that second year, that was really good for them. You know, it, it went south for a variety of reasons, as we know. I, I think more than anything else, of course, you look at the injury to Jake Bentley and having to force Ryan Helinski in as a starting quarterback, and he did a 
you know, a pretty fair job uh, for a, a true freshman stepping into the SEC. But not having Jake Bentley you know, just set them back tremendously. Say what you want about Jake. I mean, he had proven that he could win in the SEC, and he was your leader, an older guy and all that. That hurt uh, terribly. And, of course, the next year, uh, 2020, uh, they just weren't ready for, for anything, you know. Yeah. So I, w- I was, um, more than anything else, I was just surprised that it didn't work for mm-hmm. Muschamp because I saw how hard they worked in recruiting, uh, how he, you know, always talked about it. And his uh, his, his um, attitude was not like what Beamer is. Beamer is always bright light, uh, glass half full, energy, high energy, praise, praise, praise. Uh, very similar to what Dabo Sweeney did when he took over at Clemson. Everything is right. great. We got the greatest, this greatest, that. You know, Muschamp wasn't that way. Mm. I don't think he was that real touchy feely, emotional kind of guy <laughs> that Beamer is. You know, yeah. but that's okay. Well, he was, and, and people say he was tough with the media, and I mean, I, I you don't have to expand on that if you don't want to. But it uh, felt very pre-canned in conferences. He was very vague about injuries and just everything. Yeah. It was very. He had his it was, way. Right. He, he had his way about things. Very was, Nick Saban-esque. Very yeah. Nick Saban-esque. Well, that's where he – Which know, most of the Nick Sabanites he, 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 have, have been that way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, again, he is what he is. You right. ask a question of a coach. I mean, you expect uh, – you, you better be prepared for the answer, you know, <laughs> that you may not ex- expect and, and how to and, – and deal with it. You know, don't <clears> – <throat> and don't get upset and don't take it personally. Um, you know, I had exchanges with Muschamp, nothing – Nothing real, real bad, um, yeah. but he was just that kind of guy. It was like, I asked him a question. They beat Louisiana Tech in 2019. Oh yeah, at home. Remember that? Oh yeah, they beat yeah. Louisiana Tech. 16 to 16 to 15 yeah. or 17, yeah. 16, 17, 16. Well, and it made them. It yeah. made them three and one. Right. Versus uh, they would have been what two and two. Yeah. And so my question was a real softball question after the game, and uh, you know I'm sitting way back in the back, and I raised my hand. And I said, um, hey, you know, you won the game. You're three and one. You know, how does that feel to you? Three and one versus two and two. How much better is that? You know, and I'm wearing a peach shirt. And his response was his response was nice orange shirt, Tiger Phil. And I said, no, it's peach. It's not (laughs) orange. It's peach. And he goes, "Okay, well, nice peach shirt. Um, But my point is, you know, he just want to take a little a little stab at me there, which was okay. You know, yeah, you roll with yeah. it. Um, and, and then he answered the question. So uh, he, he was, he was fine, you know, from that standpoint. Um, did I, you know, the, the, the buyout and the decision to make the change. I mean, look, um, everything was so bad in, in 2020 with the COVID. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I thought when he hired Mike Bobo, that that was going to be the answer. But, yeah. uh, you know, they, you know, Colin, uh, Colin Hill was a nice quarterback. He was a nice fill-in guy, but he wasn't going to win big in the SEC. Right. Apparently, uh, you know, they didn't like Kalinsky for whatever reason, or Bobo didn't like Kalinsky for whatever reason. He never got a chance to play. You know, it was just a mess there at quarterback. And, and again, you go into the SEC without a, a true uh, performer at quarterback, you're, you're lost in the woods, right. basically. Um, so – I think it was probably if they had the money, which they ended up putting together, it was probably the, the, the smart thing to do because the, the, the fans seemed to have been souring uh, very strongly on Muschamp and everything that was going on. 
So you bring in a guy who's young, enthusiastic, um, a lot like the Dabo Sweeney model, and you cut him loose and you let him do his thing. And it sounds like a Beamer has got a very good plan, a very good approach to things. Now, their recruiting is going uh, well. And all this smells good and feels good until we get mm-hmm. to the season and we see what he's able to do there. And the honeymoon the phase. Lo- well, the honeymoon if the losses phase. start to pile up, then we know what will happen. But it's only year one, and you got to give right. him some time. But I think he's got some good players coming in if they mm-hmm. just give him a chance. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what I wanted to move to, Phil, was just the overall coaching search. And when that happened, the, the typical names popped up, the Hugh Freezes and the Billy Napiers and the Jamie Chadwells. I'll ask you, who did you think South Carolina was going to hire and your thoughts when they did hire Beamer? Were you surprised? Did you think it was a genius outside-the-box type of hire? Like, what was your overall thoughts on the way the coaching search was handled? Well, I mean, I thought that uh, I had some pretty good insight as to what was going on. I kind of knew who he was going to be talking to. And you heard, you know, Beamer's name very early. And as you saw in the state newspaper story recently with the the uh, exposure to the text messages and mm-hmm. the, uh, the emails, his name came up very quickly from some board members who wanted him to be talked to. So that seemed to gain traction very early. And, you know, I think what happened was I think Tanner met with Beamer very early and he became his guy from the outset. Mm-hmm. You know, he kind of set the bar at a certain level. Then he went to talk to others to see, okay, can anybody top what we've got here? You know, he liked Beamer, his youth, his experience, his plan. He obviously had a plan laid out for him in every area, who he would hire. Um, Obviously, that didn't go extremely well because some of the guys he hired didn't stay, and he had to go back and hire again. But at least he had the plan. Um, So I think he kind of – he met with Beamer, kind of set that bar at a certain level, and then went out to see if anybody was going to top it. And apparently, you know, uh, from – from Satterfield to uh, what uh, Billy Napier uh, to Jamie Chadwell. You know, I think he liked Jamie Chadwell. I think in his opinion, from what I've been told, he just thought Chadwell was, uh, was too young um, and hadn't had any uh, major coaching experience, not even as an assistant coach. At least in Beamer's case, his entire coaching career has been built around major programs, you know, from South Carolina to Georgia to Virginia Tech to Oklahoma. He's been exposed to all that stuff. And he kind of – I think he must have felt that was a a significant difference there. So they did not – you know, they really didn't try and swing for the fences, Mm -hmm. you know, with some big-time name. You know, they didn't go after an Urban Meyer, let's say, who was – was he still available then? Yeah, I think he he was. was. He was. Yeah, an Urban Meyer. They didn't try to swing – they didn't go for the Hall of Famer who'd already made his career and was looking for a place to retire, kind of like with Lou and Spurrier. You know, they did that. They've been down that tra- that 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 uh, that road. I like this hire uh, because, you know, why not? Why not give a young guy a chance to come in and build something? And uh, if it works, you got yourself a guy that's going to be here for decades. Mm-hmm. I would think Shane Beamer is going to set his boots down in Columbia and if everything goes well and they like him and he likes them, I can see him having a very long run in Columbia. But all depends, of course, on how successful he is. But you have to go into it if you're Ray Tanner, the Board of Trustees, Gamecock fans. You got to go into it believing he's going to be successful. You got to give him the chance. Um, 
I think that it's, you know, they talk about the culture and, and I don't know what college football is going to be like in three years or five years. Who knows if recruiting is still going to be a thing. You don't know what the face of football is going to look like in three to five years with all the changes. So I think what you got to do is give Beamer some time here, let him do his thing with his staff, hold that staff together. They're going to win some games this year. I think they're going to surprise some people with um, what they're going to look like. I think he's got a good staff with him. I think he's got in some positions better players and than people have uh, given them credit for. You just got to figure out your quarterback situation and find who, who that person is going to be. Uh, and uh, that trigger man so important in today's college football. Even though they've got these running backs that are some of the best in the SEC, man, you got to have that quarterback who can spread the field and make things happen. Time will tell if they've got that this year. Yeah, and Phil, recruiting is really going to determine a, a lot of, of course, Shane Beamer's success. Like we said earlier, recruiting is the lifeblood of college football. And I think it's interesting how the transfer portal ha has just changed the game. And especially now, you know, the SEC and I guess the NCAA ruling that there's immediate eligibility. So guys like you saw like Eric Gilbert and Darion Kendrick that transferred to Georgia. I mean, boom, they transferred. They're immediately ready to go. And heck, Darion Kendrick's going to play against his former team in week one. I mean, it's literally mm. opened up free agency in college football. But I want to ask you on the recruiting side of things, um, because again, like we mentioned, it, it, it's about the Jimmies and Joes when it comes to college football and you know, Steve Spurrier and, and, and what he did at South Carolina, I thought really what was interesting, he was able to, you know, it wasn't necessarily top 10, top five classes, anything like that, but they were able to recruit at a top 25 clip, but also develop players. What do you think the recruiting strategy needs to be and will be for Shane Beamer? Because obviously we'd all love to see South Carolina get to the point where they're, they're pulling in top five classes year after year, similar to what that team in the upstate's doing, you know, consistently, but I think realistically at South Carolina, you've got to be able to recruit, but also be master developers of talent and identifiers of talent on the recruiting trail. But again, someone that's so closely tied to recruiting, what are you kind of expecting the strategy to be from Shane Beamer and his coaching staff on the recruiting trail? Well, I think number one, they're really hitting the state of South Carolina very hard. And that's a smart thing to do considering that Clemson is putting so much emphasis on out-of-state talent. It really opens up the state for South Carolina to get some good players. And I think they're doing that. They've made some offers to some guys that are a little bit off the radar, but I think they think that they can bring them in and develop them, which is something that Spurrier and his staff did too. Now they got, of course, some, some big name players too during their time, but you, if you can uh, put a fence around the state, so to speak, and get uh, some of the very best in the state and then others who you think you can uh, develop, that's number one. And then it seems like the, you know, Mac Brown and company making it really tough in North Carolina, but you still can work Charlotte quite a bit. You know, Columbia is close to Charlotte and it's the only SEC school that's uh, within like an hour. I mean, Tennessee's not that far away, but you know, you're the closest SEC school to Charlotte. There's a ton of schools and a ton of talent work that area. Of course, work the Atlanta area because Georgia can't take them all mm -hmm. uh, in Georgia and in the Atlanta area uh, hit your spots in Florida. It also looks like they're going up to the Northeast with, um, with some, um, with some promise, you know, like Delaware, for example, yeah. they're doing well in Delaware. You're doing well in Delaware. By God, you're doing well in recruiting. So they're hitting some spots in the Northeast as well. So that seems to, to be uh, their strategy right now, because let's face it, you know, they can't attract, they really can't, they can't attract the five-star 
prospect right now or the high four-star guy. Mm. They might get him in for a visit, and they can show him great stuff and great facilities, but can they show him uh, the playoffs? You know, yeah. Can they show him SEC championship <clears throat> opportunities? And that's what these guys – those elite guys are looking for, they don't, mm. you know, they want to play in the playoffs every year. They want to basically be almost guaranteed that if I go to this place, I'm going to have a chance to play for a conference championship and I'm going to have a chance to play in the CFP and South Carolina can't show them that right now. So it's the old, uh, what comes first, the chicken or the egg. Yeah. And uh, I can't answer that question. I, I think you got to take what you've got now and develop it and get to that, 10 11 win plateau and play in an sec championship game and then you're going to see the five stars start to line up and want to come visit and maybe even sign with you you know that's why a gunner stockton obviously he put his faith in Muschamp and and bobo more than anything else when he committed to south carolina he saw south carolina was having a, a miserable year but he stuck to it all the way until uh, you know, Muschamp left and then Bobo left. And that's when he, I think he decommitted in January. Mm -hmm. So he was putting more of his faith in those guys than he was the actual program itself. Mm -hmm. So build it up. If you can, you know, look at this year's schedule. Look, if they can go six and six minimum seven and five, I think seven and five would be a wonderful start and go win a bowl mm -hmm. game. All right. Mm -hmm. Then you got something to build on and, um, and then you go from there and you can attract mm. uh, better players and get them into your program. Yeah. And that, that's what I think Phil is really the key in year one. And what I'm looking for is just the beginning of the, you know, instilling of the new culture, laying that foundation, if you will. I, I've even said that the record is sort of, is sort of secondary when it comes to Gamecocks football in 2021, because th those are the bigger things you want. It's more about how does South Carolina play uh, versus how many games they win. But, of course, games you win and getting to a bowl game and winning a bowl game, things like that, create positive momentum, positive buzz, which in turn helps recruiting. But when you look at this 2021 season, you know, it's really interesting because if you talk to those within the program and around South Carolina football and, of course, the fan base, you know, again, we're in the honeymoon phase of Shane Beamer, glass half full. There's a thousand reasons to be optimistic. You know, this guy, that guy, these players were slept on here, were slept on there. You know, the typical fan talk and banter. And while I, I agree with some of that, I was talking to a buddy, my, a buddy of mine the other day, and I was telling him, I was like, you know what kind of scares me? is, you know, you and I look at Tennessee from the South kind of perspective and say, oh, my goodness, what a dumpster fire. They're terrible. They're going to be awful this year. I told him that's how people are looking at South Carolina right now, oh, whether sure. you like mm -hmm. whether you like it or not. The outside perspective, the outside take. I mean, there's a reason the over under in Vegas is set at three and a half wins, which we look at that and we're like, how in the world is that total that low? Yeah, But I'll ask you, when you look at this first year under Shane Beamer, and I was posed this hypothetical, for example, Phil. My buddy asked me, hey, would you rather go six and six but get blown out in all the other six games or go five and seven but lose six of seven by, say, a touchdown or less? And, again, it's a hypothetical, but I would rather go the five and seven number just because I want to see true progress. I think that was the biggest problem with the last regime. There were some nice wins sprinkled in here and there. Who can forget the 2019 upset against Georgia, the 2020 win against Auburn? But it was never built on. It was never followed up with progress. And like you said, the biggest thing in recruiting, and I feel like feel like what Steve Spurrier and that staff was so good at selling, other than the fact that he's Steve Spurrier, a legend, 
you always felt like, okay, we're one or two key guys away, and, and you can be that game changer for us. You can be that difference maker for us. You can be that guy who changes the culture here and, and, and is the difference maker to get us competing for championships, competing to go to Atlanta, things of that nature. But when you look at year one, what does a successful year one under Shane Beamer look like for you again from the outside perspective nationally if you will whatever what does a successful first year look like whether it be record wise whether it be you know the way south kind of looks when it takes the field this season what does that look like for you well let me say one thing about spurrier so the thing about spurrier was when you had him on the sideline when he was at his best you always felt like you had a chance yep because uh he's Steve spurrier and he's going to draw up the plays even in the dirt to give your offense a chance to score. So you always had that on your side. As far as success this year, I hear what you're saying about the five good wins, seven losses. I still say six wins of any type. I mean, Eastern Illinois, East Carolina, Vanderbilt, uh, the other – Troy. Troy Troy, would be the non-conference. That's four. And then find two wins. you got to get to a bowl game. Not just because, okay – whether you're going to the weed eater bowl or what it's that extra practice. It's those mm-hmm. extra couple of weeks of practice that you have. It's the opportunity to have your name out on ESPN. I, w- I would agree, Phil, that's the minimum expectation. I would, I would certainly agree from a wins total perspective. That would be the yeah, success. Yeah, if you can, yeah. it, it reminds me a lot. I'll tell you this, Phil, it reminds me a lot of must chance first season in the sense of like, Get, getting to six and six that year was deemed a, a major success. I sure. kind of view look this what he year did the, the next way. year. The next year right. they won nine games, right? And they beat right. Michigan in the bowl game. But they yeah. they they went to a bowl game that first year. They lost in overtime to South Florida. Yeah, they came back the next year, had a big year, and you know, and things looked great. You know, yeah. all oh, gas, yeah. no brakes. I mean, I remember <laughs> him saying that all gas, no brakes, and everything looked great. And then they go and um, they go to Charlotte. They played North Carolina. Uh, should have won that game, you know, mm. had uh, Shy Smith open on the post, overthrew him, mm. would have been the winning touchdown. Probably shouldn't have been that close to begin with, but it did, and uh, it was. And then you had whatever happened to Bentley, either on the last play or whatever, maybe he kicked the, <laughs> a, the trash can, maybe he kicked the stadium. He did something right. to his foot. I was there in the post game, and you know, none of us saw him limping or walking in a boot. Maybe it came up later on. Obviously, he was hurt. And he couldn't play anymore that season. And, man, that just that just threw you for right. a loop. So, it was all – really, though, you think about it, um, you know, that was a major turning point. Uh, and then they still made a bowl game that year. Remember, they went to the Belt Bowl. Right, right. Yeah. And they got shut out by Virginia. And then, you know, it was pretty much all downhill after that. So, mm. I think um, – in, in your first year, if you can manage a bowl trip, that is huge. I just mm-hmm. think that's what the goal should be. Anything else above that is just uh, icing on the cake. But, man, six wins and get to a bowl, maybe even win a bowl game and go seven and six minimum, anything above that, then you've got something to really celebrate. But that's a building block. That's what you build on. And then you've got some place to go recruiting with. And you really have a lot of energy going into off-season uh, conditioning and workouts in 22. Phil, I'll pose this question to you. If South Carolina gets to six wins or better this year, in your opinion, it will be because what worked? It will be because either uh, Luke Doty or Jason Brown or uh, Gauthier 
emerged as a winning quarterback in the SEC. Uh, I think they've got a, I think they've got a workable offensive line. I think they have excellent tight ends. I think they'll find enough receivers to make it work at that position. Of course, the running backs, they go without saying. They look really good up front on defense. Um, you know, secondary still a, is a work in progress. If they get the transfer from Kansas, Prunty, if he announces for them on Saturday, that'd be a huge bonus, obviously. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's probably an immediate starter at corner. Yeah. He can move some other people around. Linebackers are still, you know, eh, still kind of a question mark. Um, I know that Sherrod Green can be very good when healthy, and uh, maybe this will be a, you know, this defense will be good for him, and this will be a good, healthy year for him. But, you know, and the kicking game is is solid, you know. Nothing wrong with the kicking game. So, I, I, I but I think it's all got to come down to who's going to be the quarterback. And uh, I, I don't know – I have no idea what's going to happen in the fall. You know, Doty's going to be the guy going in, but we all know he can't throw the deep ball. And if we know that, then defenses know that. Um, Jason Brown showed he could throw the ball in the spring game. You know, throw, he throws a nice ball. Maybe he's going to be the guy. Maybe be a combination of the two. Uh, you know, I don't know. But that's got to be solved and solved in the right way if this team's going to have a chance to be successful. You asked me if they win – Six games, why will they win six games? It's because whoever they put at quarterback um, turned out to be pretty good. Well, Phil, you've been gracious with your time. Last question before I get you out of here. And this is something I don't talk to a lot of my guests about, but I feel like with your perspective, your unique perspective, covering both South Carolina and Clemson so extensively, I want to ask you this, because this is a question that sort of lingers around Gamecock fans, and it just centers around the South kind of Clemson rivalry. Of course, it was so weird, the two teams not playing a year ago, but unfortunately, we're to the point where I think a lot of Gamecock fans it was a little bit of a relief because of how that game is gone and probably what the point spread would have been, and especially with last year's team. I mean, none of us even want to even want to think of what the result might have been like. But, of course, Clemson will return to Williams-Brice Stadium this fall, and I, I don't think anybody's expecting anything outlandish in, in the result of that game this year. But, you know, the previous staff, they, they just had such a, a tough time even competing in those games against Clemson. Phil, in your opinion, in your mind, for that rivalry, because it's so important, we all understand the magnitude of it. What do the Gamecocks have to do to make that rivalry even just competitive again? <laughs> yeah, you're right. It never was competitive during the, the Muschamp era from the opening time he played them. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, he, he sort of ran into Clemson along the lines of when uh, Sweeney ran into Spurrier. You know, yeah. for the good Clemson teams, those were 10 win Clemson teams where they couldn't mm-hmm. beat South Carolina uh, because Spurrier, of course, they had excellent offense and you had Ellis Johnson running the defense and he knew how to defend what Chad Morris was doing during that time. Uh, so they had a, you know, South Carolina had a good mix during that run of what was it, five in a row over Clemson. Mm-hmm. And now Clemson's turned it around. They've won what, seven in a row? Mm-hmm. I think it is. Yep. Yeah. So what, <laughs> I mean, look, you know, South Carolina still is not going to match up player for player with Clemson in terms of uh, top 22 uh, or top 44. And right. Clemson's just been recruiting. Their recruiting is so far advanced compared to the Gamecocks at this point in time. So you can't think about matching up with them player for player. Uh, but, you know, what can you do? You got them at home. If you're having a good year, and, and for South Carolina's sake, let's hope they've already got the six wins tucked right. away. 
Mm. You know, let's hope they don't have to go into that game sitting on five wins, and that's got to be the, the game they've got to ha- have. Mm. But if they can win six and already have that tucked away and be re- reasonably healthy and, uh, and playing with some confidence, you know, then basically you've got to outcoach them. You know, you've got to take what you've got and, and figure out a game plan and execute it to make it work. Uh, who knows what Clemson's going to be? Look, I hate to say it, but they're a sprained ankle away at quarterback from being an average football team, possibly. Mm-hmm. I mean, if a younger delay goes down, their number two is out for the year, then you're talking about a walk-on having to be your quarterback. And that's Clemson's worst nightmare, I would say, right now. That would take away their down-the-field passing and that big threat, and then you, you line up and you stop the run. So don't want that to happen. Don't get me wrong. Right, Let's right. assume Clemson's healthy and everybody's right. able to play. You're just going to have to come up with a better game plan and, and out-coach them in some way. You're not going to out-personnel them. Right. Um, they're they're going to they're, they're have the talent edge. But you've got to do what, what you do and do it extremely well. And the reason, one of the big parts of um, South Carolina's five-game winning streak in the series was turnovers. They forced a lot of turnovers by Clemson and did not turn it over. You can do that. You can stay in the game and make it a fourth-quarter game. Mm. You're at home. Then anything can happen. That's what you got to do. For sure. Well, Phil, again, this has been a pleasure. been a yep. absolute treat, man. I appreciate you taking the time. And, and obviously, everybody knows where to follow your content. Obviously, you guys are on social media now at Sports Talk SC. I believe at Sports Talk SC. It's where right. everybody can find Phil's work. But again, I, I feel like I'm telling people what they already know. Everybody follows you. Everybody knows where your work is. But again, seriously, Phil, appreciate you taking the time. Keep up the great work on the South Carolina beat and would certainly love to, love to do it again soon, for sure. Well, anytime, and uh, hopefully we'll see you at a ball game uh, this season. I hope you have a good rest of your summer, too, man. Take care. Absolutely. Hey, you too. Appreciate it. He's Phil Cornblow. I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in, and we'll catch you next time with an episode of the Spurs Up Show. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. 
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.